It's time. We are not called to be nice. Sandy Rios. Welcome, Sandy. Thanks for being here. We are often called to be confrontational. And here with me in D.C. is Fox News contributor Sandy Rios. You and you still like me or you or you don't like me, James? Are you okay? You're all right. <laughs> I'm a musician. I can't help it. Uh, longtime Fox News contributor Sandy Rios, thanks very much for being with us. We have, I think it's four to one youth in America wants gay marriage. Our kids are the product of public schools. No wonder they poll the way they do. It's time to stand up or we're going to lose everything we have. Director of Governmental Affairs for the American Family Association. Step up, speak up, say something, do something. This isn't a game. This is real life. Sandy Rios is with the American Family Association. A pro-life radio talk show host. Some things are worth fighting for. So one of the many things that you're looking at is the uh, involvement of people who you currently serve with, uh, Republican members. You say Republican Congressman Jim Jordan talked to then President Trump on January 6th and Republican Congressman Scott Perry tried to convince him to name a loyalist as acting attorney general. Neither Jordan nor Perry is cooperating. Are you willing to subpoena them? Well, let me say that both those gentlemen, uh, based on the statements you've just read, have acknowledged that they either talked uh, to the president on January 6th, like Jim Jordan has said. Uh, the other gentleman, uh, Mr. Perry, uh, tried to replace the current attorney general with somebody else uh, who would uh, do the wishes and bidding of President Trump mm -hmm. with respect to the election. And we've asked him to come in voluntarily. Now, we will look at whatever opportunities we can to get those people to come in. Does that include a but subpoena? But again, Dana, well, we'll look at it. Uh, I'm not going to that. I would hope that those individuals who took an oath of office uh, as a member of the Congress would come forward. That's why we've asked them to come voluntarily. Uh, and we think coming voluntarily uh, mm -hmm. should do it. Now, if not, then obviously we'll discuss uh, what other options that we will have available to us as a committee. But it's unfortunate that with what we saw on January 6th and what most of the members who've acknowledged was a very dark day uh, that occurred in this country, they won't so come forward and help us guarantee that it'll never happen again. We, we saw some uh, new video that uh, was released last week, really intense video. Yes, and uh, are you going to issue a subpoena? Uh, are you going to subpoena Jim Jordan and uh, Scott Perry and others in the Congress, like Louis Gohmert? Are you going to issue a subpoena? She can hardly bear uh, that he is not saying, yes, absolutely, I will. That's Benny Thompson. He's the head of the January 6th committee, the completely partisan a committee that has, uh, you know, uh, such people as Liz Cheney and Adam Kinzinger uh, representing the Republican side, handpicked by Nancy Pelosi to be on that committee. None of the others, they were actually thrown off. Jim Jordan and uh, the, the Jim Banks from uh, Indiana were thrown off of the committee. Oh, no, we can't have any Republicans pushing back on this. So, uh, there, it's an it's like a kangaroo court. It really is unbelievable that this is happening in our country. And now that news media, you heard Dana uh, from NBC pushing him. Uh, the the news media uh, is you know the third rail. It is. It's like the part of the revolution. It's or oh, CNN. Uh, it's the 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 other part of the revolution. It's like they want uh, January sixth to be told in their terms. And they want conservatives who were involved in that to go down. And they're trying to do everything they can to make that happen. You can expect that this Thursday, which is the first year anniversary, maybe I, God willing, we'll never have to remember it again two years from now, but uh, it's going to be a circus and it's going to be upsetting. Uh, Joe Biden and Kamala Harris will be visiting the Capitol making remarks. Uh, there'll be prayer, a commemoration. They're going to talk about how a dark a day it was on January the 6th. And indeed, it was a dark day. I think we all feel that way, but for very different reasons. And you can imagine that we will be talking about that on Thursday and uh, giving you information that some of you already know and others of you don't. So I hope that you'll stay tuned for that. And by the way, uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene, of course, is also in their sights. Uh, Marjorie uh, is just uh, uncompromising. She may have 
uh, more courage than just about any sitting Republican I have seen. And the more I see of Marjorie Taylor Greene, the more I admire her. So we're, we're going to get her on the show and we'll talk to her firsthand. <clears throat> Excuse me. But I don't think I told you yesterday that she had been permanently suspended from Twitter because you know what she did? You know what Marjorie Taylor Greene did? I think I did tell you this. She tweeted uh, the the VARS report, the V-A-E-R-S report, uh, with it lists uh, deaths and injuries from the vaccination. And Twitter uh, went all a Twitter and uh, decided that she had to be permanently suspended for uh, COVID-19 misinformation, which she took from the uh, CDC's VARS report. So uh, they're after Marjorie trying to silence her. Uh, Marjorie's response to that was when Maxine Waters can go to the streets and threaten violence on Twitter, Kamala and Ilhan can bail out rioters on Twitter, and chief spokesman for terrorist IRGC uh, uh, can tweet mourning Soleimani, who is a terrorist, but I get suspended for tweeting VARS statistics. Twitter is an enemy to America and can't handle the truth. That's fine. I'll show America we don't need them, and it's time to defeat our enemies. And by the way, I did not get, I know, yesterday, too, several reports of uh, very uh, uh, Joe Rogan switching to uh, Getter, uh, others switching to Getter, and others switching, of course, to Rumble. And that reminds me, Rand Paul has said he is now leaving YouTube. He said, today I take my first step toward denying my content to big tech. He announced that he will no longer be posting content to YouTube due to the platform's censorship practices. And uh, he, I'm not going to go through his history. You know, he's been uh, banned from, he has been removed from uh, YouTube more than once. He said, every year people resolve to do things that are better for their health, quitting alcohol, processed food, toxic relationships. I've come to realize that my relationship with YouTube is dysfunctional. About half of the public leans right. If we all took our messaging outlets of free exchange, we could cripple big tech in a heartbeat. So today I take my first step toward denying my content to big tech. Hopefully other liberty lovers will follow. And so he's going to be uh, posting on Rumble. And so remember that as we also are going to be trying to make a transition, which I'm not, I'm not prepared to tell you details yet, but just hang on about that. Um, and in regard to January the 6th, you have to, to keep this in perspective. The House Administration Committee has been trying to get information on the back and forth between Nancy Pelosi and uh, the others in her administration. I mean, she's in charge of safety at the Capitol. As the Speaker of the House, both sides, she's supposed to be taking care of them. She's over the maintenance, of uh, the security, all of that, of the Capitol. And so there was a huge breakdown on January the 6th, and the House Administration Committee has been trying to get information from them for a year now. And Nancy Pelosi is refusing to turn over anything. Of course, it's all President Trump's fault what happened on January 6th, not Nancy Pelosi's failure to let National Guard come in, not the failure to alert Capitol Hill police of what they knew in, uh, in, uh, in some of their transmissions. Yeah, it's a, it's a mess, and it's all one way. So expect to be angry on Thursday. Don't expect Fox to help you out unless you watch Tucker or some of the nighttime hosts, because Fox News is horrible, uh, and uh, they will be, you know, toting the party line. People in D.C. really have a very different opinion about January the 6th. They got their knickers in a knot because they were scared, uh, and they are refusing to think critically about what actually happened uh, on that day. Uh, and the very the the many narratives that all blend together in a mush, and that's what the left does. They confuse they confuse, they, they, they create confusion in order to establish a narrative, and that's what they did on January the 6th. All right, to something lighter, just a little lighter, maybe we could have something just a tiny bit lighter. Uh, here is uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. You can't hear her, but this she was in, um, well, let's see, a drag queen bar in Miami over the weekend celebrating. Let's listen to what it sounded like. <laughs> Well, so that's what it sounded like. They they recognized her. She stood up, and guess what? She didn't have on a mask. Uh, she fled New York City because New York City, of course, you can't go anywhere without a mask. And so she came to Miami, to Florida, who she trounces all the time. Governor DeSantis, uh, she's on him all the time about you know the loose uh, ruling we have in Florida. 
uh, over uh, COVID. And so <laughs> Ron DeSantis kind of addressed that a little bit yesterday in a press conference. This is clip four. Let's listen. <laughs> well, I mean, look, I, I think if, if you if I had a dollar for every lockdown politician who decided to escape to Florida over the last two years, I'd be a pretty doggone wealthy man, let me tell you. I mean, Congress people, mayors, governors, I mean, you name it. It's true. I mean, they come down here to escape what they have created in their own states. Remember, Gretchen Whitmer did the same thing. Uh, she had, uh, you know, instilled all of these lockdowns and restrictions and rules for people in Michigan while she and her she herself came to Florida to get away, you know, and have some freedom. And you, one has only to look at the uh, 95, which is the north-south route between the northeast uh, and Florida, to see that uh, um, New York and the northern states are emptying, emptying themselves of citizens, and they're coming to Florida. And so uh, it, it's... Um, and it's causing, as a matter of fact, there's another headline, New York and Florida shatter single-day records for COVID-19 cases. Well, maybe that might be in part because um, uh, so many from New York and the Northeast, where there is an outbreak, are bringing it to Florida. Thank you very much. That's what looks like, looks like what is happening. All right, so Ron DeSantis has already, already also been under fire for taking a so-called vacation uh, I believe it was last Wednesday, and how dare he do such a thing? The press has been all over him. He did quite a long statement on that. I'm not going to play the statement because of time, uh, but basically explained that he goes with his wife, Casey, when she has her chemotherapy treatments, he goes and sits with her, and that's where he was. That's why his calendar didn't have anything on it on that day. It was not a vacation, so mud in their faces as well it should be. I want to talk to you about a couple of other news stories because they just really struck me, and I, I, this has really been um, eating at me. And that is what I'm sure you've all seen, and that is a shortage of cars. Have, have any of you tried to buy cars lately? Uh, try to, to buy a used car or a new car? You, you can't. You can hardly find anything to buy, for one thing. And when you find them, like used cars are sell- selling for in excess of $100,000. Used cars. Uh, and uh, brand new cars have skyrocketed. And uh, so there's an article in Fox Business this morning that was uh, really interesting to me. I uh, kind of exploring the reasons for this. And it talks about how uh, prices for used vehicles have blown past any seemingly rational level. It's uh, the kind of scenario playing out at many auto dealerships across the country. Prices have soared so high, so fast, that buyers are being increasingly priced out of the market. Uh, It goes on to say that uh, because of inflation, and that's 6.8% in 12 months, that has contributed to it. But primarily, uh, it's the pandemic. And why is that? Because auto plants suspended production to try to slow the virus spread as sales of new vehicles sank Fewer people traded in used cars and trucks, and at the same time, demand for laptops and monitors from people stuck at home led to semiconductor makers to shift production from autos, which depend on such uh, chips, to consumer electronics. So then plants tried to restore full production, but chip makers couldn't respond fast enough. So you'll notice like uh, all kinds, like boats, uh, golf carts, um, uh, recreational, uh, just all kinds of vehicles are not being made right now because there's a shortage of these uh, chips. Here's the thing I want to mention, though. You know, um, there's this is exactly what the Biden administration wants and what the left wants. They don't want you to have a car to drive, and certainly maybe an electric car for a while, but not something that's fueled uh, by uh, by gasoline or oil. And so this is a wonderfully effective way for them to stop that. And look how suddenly it's happened. I have to tell you, I, this, I don't say this to depress you. I'm just telling you, if Biden and his leftist backers should prevail, this is going to be permanent. I don't think this is going to change at all. This is exactly what they want. They want you not to be able to drive, to be mobile. Uh, they think that's a good way, first of all, to control you. But they say it's all in the, uh, you know, the pursuit of green energy. Not so. And so, hey, stay tuned. We've got something really incredible coming up next. Stay tuned. Sandy Rios in the morning. 
In this season of giving, you can be the answer to their prayer today. Hey, it's Michael Woolworth with Bible League International, and since Labor Day, we've been working toward a goal of putting God's Word into the hands and hearts of 16,000 Bibleist believers around the world. Here's a few that are praying for a Bible. Ahmed is a former Muslim beaten by extremists when he came to faith in Christ. He's praying for a Bible. Miriam is a widowed mother of three in Mozambique, Africa. Very sadly, her husband was killed by the Boko Haram regime, but she's praying for a Bible. Carla was a follower of pagan practices in Venezuela. He's praying for a Bible now as a Christ follower. And then Washi and her husband are livestock farmers in China. They want to raise their children to know and love Jesus. They're praying for a Bible. Listen, to date, you've put 10,000 Bibles into the hands of Bibleist believers. We'd love to see another 6,000 by the end of the year. So please, at $5 a Bible, would you make your most generous gift by calling 800-YES-WORD? 800-YES-WORD. 800-YES-WORD or give at sendbiblesnow.org. This is Pause to Pray, a chance each day to stop down from the daily noise of life and pray for our country's leaders. Today we pray for Avril Haines, Director of National Intelligence. She heads up the U.S. intelligence community, oversees the National Intelligence Program, and serves as an advisor to the President. Proverbs 11.14 reminds us of the importance of wise counsel. Where there is no guidance, a people falls. But in an abundance of counselors, there is safety. Right now, with this in mind, let's pray. Almighty God, we ask for guidance for Avril Haines as she advises the president. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Pause to Pray is a service of this station and the Presidential Prayer Team, a nonprofit, nonpartisan ministry dedicated to encouraging prayer for our nation's leaders. To learn more, go to pausetopray.org. Hello, Americans. I'm Todd Stern. Stand by for news and commentary next. Are you looking for a university that provides a quality Christian education with excellent academic and athletic programs? Well, I want to invite you to visit Liberty University, where they offer multiple visiting opportunities to fit your schedule. Plan a visit to their Central Virginia campus and stay for an afternoon, a day, or an entire weekend. You can also take a virtual tour from the comfort of your own home. Plan your visit today by texting "Go Visit" to the number 49596. Again, that's "Go Visit" to the number 49596. A high school teacher boasted on social media about creating an explicitly queer space in his taxpayer-funded classroom. The teacher kept his name and location private. He said most days he comes to school wearing stilettos, boasting about standing six foot six in heels. The teacher also bragged about coming to school in drag and makeup. He said school administrators had no problem with his behavior, and they were just glad he was making a safe space for kids. Now, this guy is a sex and gender revolutionary, using his classroom to indoctrinate and confuse kids. Whatever happened to teaching young people to be good and productive members of society? Whatever happened to reading and writing and math and science? And whatever happened to teachers who used to wear sensible shoes in the workplace? Homeschool your children, America. My new book makes a terrific stocking stuffer. Our Daily Biscuit Devotions with a Drawl, available right now at ToddStarns.com. Sandy Rios in the morning on American Family Radio. Hi, Sandy Rios, back with you. You know, um, I do open the phone lines not as much as I'd like. And when we do, uh, I have noticed that the your comments are incredible. We are hearing from some incredible people with important things to tell. And so uh, last uh, Thursday, the Thursday before Christmas, when I opened the phone lines just briefly, we got a call from a listener that I want you to listen again to. Perhaps you missed it. This is uh, a caller named Deborah. Let's listen. Hi, Sandy. I pray God's richest blessings on you and your husband and your family and grandchildren. Thank you. I just... um, you just need those blessings because of the position in which God's placed you and your family. Um, I've called just so I can have someone hear me and someone maybe see me. Uh, December 7th, Vanderbilt University called me and told me they were removing me from the kidney transplant list because I would not take the shot. I wrote an appeal letter to Vanderbilt on, based on religious grounds. Um, they accepted the letter to review it before the board, and it was denied. So I'm just saying, Jesus, I loved your bumper music. It is 
true. Jesus is King of kings and Lord of lords. And despite what happens in this earthly existence, um, my Lord and Savior is on his throne. And I will take one day at a time. And we'll see what the Lord brings into my life next and into all our lives. Because this is certainly... Um, certainly strange times in which we live. It is, Debbie. Let me just jump in. Something practical. Please send me your information to Sandy at AFR.net. All right. So that's, I don't know uh, if I we don't help. need that part, but th- that's, uh, uh, that was one of the listeners, and I've asked her to join us this morning. Since that time, she and I have had a chance to talk, and I wanted you to get to know her and hear her story more fully. So, uh, Deborah Doster, good morning, and thanks for joining us. Good morning. A happy hello from Tennessee. <laughs> well, a happy hello right back to you. Uh, Deborah. let's talk about, um, uh, first of all, let's talk about where you are with your with this particular kidney disease. Let's go to that first, then we're going to talk about who you are and what you do. Um, where, at what point, what's the function of your kidneys? That's what I'm asking. Um, I am stable at the moment for about the last 12 months or 24 months. I've been hanging at 19%. Uh, function, which is enough to to do what I want to do. I am not on dialysis yet. I've had a marvelous specialist with Vanderbilt University uh, who has taken care of me for the last 10 years, and um, and he is the one that recommended me to the kidney transplant list. So um, I'm just holding steady. It it just started to plummet about 10 years ago, and now I've, I've kind of stopped at 19%. And what should it be? I mean, are, is that out of 100%? And should it be 100% and you're uh, down yeah. at 19? Yes. Uh, you reach a place, um, I've forgotten if it's 60, you start to lose 1% of function for each year you live past 60. So my mother is eighty, going on 86, and her function is still about, um, I think she, last time we checked it in May, she was, 60, about 68% okay. function, which is normal for her. So, yeah, I'm, I'm a long ways from that. Um, my disease is also idiopathic. They've run tests on my kidneys, ultrasounds, CT scans. There are no tumors or cysts. Um, idiopathic meaning we don't know why your kidneys are dying, but we have to maintain what you have as best we can. So that's what we've been in is, is a maintenance, kind of a ma- maintenance mode. All right. Well, let's, uh, okay, let's stop right there with that. And we're going to come back to it and, and how you applied to Vanderbilt and what's happened subsequently. But um, you you told me on the phone that you were a basketball player. Did you play professionally? Oh, no, I didn't. Um I was, I've just always been an athlete. Uh, and my whole family, all of us were athletes. I'm the oldest of four. And uh, I played one year of high school back in the day. Uh, most of your listeners are younger than me. Back in the day when it was just guards on one end and forwards on the other end. And, and I was a guard. And then I went to Murray State as a walk-on when there was not such a thing as a walk-on female. Uh, in 73, Title IX was just rolling in and I played at Murray State University in Murray, Kentucky, uh, lettered four years, um, was an honorable mention, All-American, um, and I, and there was nothing ever officially sent to me. I just got a letter in the mail that said that you had been nominated, da 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 So it was a lot of fun. I wouldn't trade that for a million dollars. It was a lot of fun. I played um, against Pat Head Summit. <laughs> She was at UT Martin in Tennessee, and I was at Murray State. It's just a neat time. Uh, you didn't know you were making his. I didn't make history, but Pat certainly did, and um, and just was a great time. And then I had a knee injury that kind of slowed my career down, but still, it was a wonderful experience. But you have remained active all these years. You were telling me all the things that you do now, like uh, I don't even remember you hiking. What is it that you're, you're doing now that you're able to do? Well, I do anything I want to do. My my joints have paid the price. When you when you play college sports, you're going to give up some health. Um, not always, but a lot of the time, you t- especially us females, we have knees that give out. We tear ACLs, and we 
tear meniscus and all of these types of things, but you can get them repaired when you're my age. He told me if I could make it to 65, I could have a knee replacement, which I had three weeks ago today. And wow. <laughs> I'm still, I train, I train horses. I ride my horse. I just bought a new one, Tucker. Um, and we rode in the Shawnee National Forest Thanksgiving weekend. And um, I just put on a lot of cane patch and off I go. But now I hope to ride with less pain. And so I do whatever I do. And that's what my kidney specialist said. He said, Deb, live your life the way you would live it if you didn't have a single care in the world. And so that's how, of course, I approach it that way as a Christian. Jesus, he's given me an abundant life. I can't, I have no complaints. Um, So I just rock on um, staying active and I hope to ride when I'm 85. And we want you to ride when you're 85, also. And I, I, let's briefly, at least briefly, touch on the fact that you you have your PhD in education. Were you an administrator, a teacher? What did you do? I was 14 years in the classroom uh, teaching physics and math. A, a short time I taught math, um, and mostly when computers moved into the classroom. I was right at the beginning of that. I was the first. My um, director of vocational education set up the first computer lab in West Tennessee back in 87, maybe. And I taught students how to use the computer and how to do a little bit of programming, how to use uh, WordPerfect. That was the first word processing program (laughs) and uh, those types of things. Yeah, way back. Um, So, but then I moved to uh, a classroom at the high school when they closed the vocational center down and I taught those same subjects at the high school level and uh, decided that I wanted uh, to advance myself and began to pursue other degrees. Thanks to my parents, they helped me financially with that, and I earned a master's in education and then a doctorate in education from Trevecca Nazarene University. And that uh, gave me the kind of income I needed so that I could retire whenever I got ready to retire. So, um, yeah, I, I earned those. I was a principal for a year. And then uh, Weekly County, where I was working as a teacher, called me and asked me if I would consider coming back to Weekly County as a supervisor of instruction, where I would have about 125 teachers, and I would evaluate them and hire. And uh, yeah, that's what I did. That's how I finished out my career, was in yeah. uh, supervision and administration. Well, Deborah, you, I, you it's obvious, even when I just talked to you, uh, you're just, you're how can I say this? Uh, it's not just your mind. You're just so vital. Your life is vital. You are healthy, except for this kidney, uh, and you're active, and your mind is still good. And I think your doctor, you told me that your doctor does not want you to go on dialysis because you are so active and healthy. And that's not true of everyone that has this problem. All right, so you, uh, your doctor recommended you for a kidney at Vanderbilt University, which where you've been getting just great treatment for all this time. Tell us about how that happened and what happened subsequently? Well, um, my specialist, I'm going to tell you, he is a delightful man and so brilliant in his bow tie and his round glasses. And he has he has just left Vanderbilt on December 30th to go to Salt Lake City, Utah, and continue his practice there. So I'm losing a, a great friend and a great specialist. Um, but he, you have to have a recommendation from one of their specialists in order to get on the list. And he said he would recommend me uh, to the the kidney and pancreas transplant board for consideration. And uh, that was in February of this year, 2021. So I was just delighted. And the process started and I would receive phone calls from the office of the board and we walked through that part of it, and then we had to have a three-hour sit-down. My husband and I, Tim, sat down and had a about a two-and-a-half-hour meeting, three-hour meeting with various members of the board. And then ultimately, we finished the interview with Dr. Langone, uh, Anthony Langone, and he's delightful, um, really, just with well, whole, that whole place. I owe my life to Vanderbilt and the good Lord Jesus Christ, because... Vanderbilt pulled me through stage three kidney or uh, breast cancer in 2013, and now I'm depending on them and their expertise, along with the moving of God's hands, for my kidney failure. So, 
um, I had a delightful interview, and the next thing I know, I'm getting contacted, and they said, we are placing you on the kidney transplant list, and that was like the very last week of February this year. So I've been riding right along. I've had numerous people have sent in applications to see if they are a match to donate a kidney. Um, I mean, just I'll get, because I did put it on Facebook, I teach a Bible study uh, most every Tuesday. Now I've taken three weeks off because my knee pain has been so great. I can't think straight this this last three weeks. And um, my, my listeners on my Facebook Live Bible study, they just come out of the walls and sent in applications <laughs> to see if they're, yes, it's wonderful to see if they're a match. Now, so yep. far, I've had one match, and uh, I don't know who they are, and that's fine. But now that's on hold because on the last week of November, they removed me from the kidney transplant list for failure to take the COVID-19 shot. Debbie, how, did they explain to you how your failure to take this shot would affect their consideration of giving you a kidney? What is the reasoning? Do they even bother to explain to you why you don't qualify? I mean, is it any, I mean how could it be anything beyond punitive? What could possibly be the medical reason? Do you know? Well, the coordinator, um, and of course it's, it is subjective. It's my opinion. The coordinator didn't provide me a satisfactory explanation, so, so I asked her to um, please ask Dr. Langone to give me a call because he did conduct my intake interview himself. It wasn't any other member of the board. It was the director of the board, and he did call me three days later, and we talked at length, and he explained that it was the policy of the university well, maybe not the university, but the medical center, to uh, require recipients to be vaccinated be in protection of um, themselves and others and the protection of that kidney. Uh, donors, these, these organs that are being donated are so valuable, and I'm not talking about financially, they're so valuable to life that they don't want to lose one single organ. So when they transplant an organ into a person, they follow the life of that organ until the death of that recipient. And it's almost as if the kidney is living rather than the human. And they Vanderbilt's got like a 99% survival rate with their transplants, which is wow. incredible. Wow. So they want to make utmost surety that that person who's receiving that organ is going to be successful. And in their belief system, they believe that the, it's necessary to have the shot. So I understand their thinking from their perspective. I can see that. I can empathize with that. But then when I evaluate the the research, and because I've researched, I'm a, my mom says I'm a brainiac, I don't find <laughs> it's not substantiated at all. No, because I mean, with this, you know, you know well because you're a listener. We talk about this every day. In fact, when you and I say goodbye yeah. today, I have more instances where people who are fully vaccinated, uh, who have had the booster, are getting COVID. So it's just it, it. This is nonsense. And so you have appealed back to them, and we've been working on getting other people involved in this. Uh, where is where does it stand right now? Do you have any hope that they will reverse their decision? I've heard nothing from them since the coordinator phoned me and told me I had been denied. Um, that was the first. Well, we did a we did a couple of phone tag thingies, and when we finally got together and, and talked, she told me I was definitely denied, and they were forwarding my letters of appeal. I had to send in two letters, and I know from listening to your interviews with Matt Staver at Liberty Council that. It's fine to request a religious exemption letter, a request, but then when they ask you to submit support for your letter, that's, you know, you're continuing to go out there and grasp for other things. And they did ask me for a letter from my pastor. So I sent in two letters and both letters were denied. Now uh, they have, 
they I don't know if it's just a ch- protocol thing. They have moved my two letters, my pastor's letter and mine, to the big board. I call it in my mind. It's like an umbrella. The Vander- Vanderbilt University Medical Center board has that, and they don't know when they're going to meet or how they're going to rule on it, or if they'll just go with the recommendation of the lower board, which would be the Kitty Pancreas Transplant Department. So we're just sitting on hold, just waiting uh, to see if it would be reversed. That's and, where I uh, am at the uh, moment. Debbie, you are the only person. You've re- you issued this religious exemption, and they rejected that. And are you not the only person that they have dropped from the kidney transplant program, the only person that, that, as far as you know? that As far as I know, that's what I was told by the transplant coordinator. Now, I have since learned that is not entirely true. Um, there have been two others in my position that, and one, let me say one other for sure in my position uh, who had a donor, a living donor, uh, that was a perfect match, and they denied it, and now they've reversed their course and decided to grant it. Was it so over the vaccine status? Heard... Yes. Okay. Well, now, all right. I just got that information yesterday afternoon. Um, okay. The Lord's just flooded me with information in the last 24 hours, and um, my eyebrows are still up in my forehead thinking, this is crazy. Well, I tell you, I, this is what I'm, I'm going to say. This is coming from me, not from Debbie. Uh, if you are in Tennessee, or if you've ever been a patient at Vanderbilt and you have interest there, this is the time to let their phone just ring off the hook. Uh, and you can, you can be polite, but you can also be angry. You could be angry and not be rude, uh, because this is ridiculous. Uh, they are actually putting someone at risk for their life on purpose, uh, at the outside chance that if they give this kidney to Debbie, she may not survive because she doesn't have the COVID shot. When we can see that people who have the COVID shot are g- still getting COVID. This is just nonsense. It's not medical. It's not scientific. It's arbitrary. It's punitive. Uh, and there's no excuse for it. And I, you know, Debbie, I've seen um, my connection medically has been more with, um, with Mayo Clinic. I've been a patient of theirs in their executive health program for a long time, and I am just sick at my, the pit of my stomach for what they're doing to people right now. The medical establishment has gone off the rails. That doesn't mean all the doctors have, but many of them have. It's been one of the greatest disappointments of my life, and it puts all of us at great danger. And right now is the time to shout loudly that this needs to stop. And so I'm recommending those of you who have connections to Vanderbilt or who live in Tennessee— Uh, and uh, you have a a vested interest in your state and in their great reputation as a worldwide, world-renowned medical facility, that this needs to stop. And um, it's again, it's Deborah Doster. Uh, That's who we're talking about, Deborah Doster. And we we need them to reinstate our on-that-list of kidney recipients. Uh, And Debbie, we're, of course, trying to get you help in other ways, too, but uh, still working on that. And um, anything else that you... (laughs) Anything else that you want to say about where you are with this? I bet your Bible studies are busy praying for you, supporting you, your parents. I don't know if they're still living, but just some final words from me before we say goodbye this morning. Well, as a Christian, I'd study other Christians. And when Eric Metaxas came out with the book, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, yes. I read that book through twice, and Dietrich's friends and cohorts of that time said, when I called out, there was no one left for me, and it was because we turned our heads at the beginning thinking, well, it doesn't affect me, I'll just look the other way, but then when it comes your time, it's time there's, there's no one to stand up for you. So as you said to me and gave me such encouragement, if this is nothing else than to help someone else, then we need to stand up. If it's not for you, if it's not for me, then someone else may have no help in the future. So we must stand up. Well, 
Well, Deborah, you're an inspiration to me personally, and I know you are to many people today. And so uh, let's keep in touch, and we're going to see if we can uh, make this thing happen for you. And uh, and short of that, uh, you've just been, when your profession of faith and courage in the face of this is just amazing. And God bless you for that. Sandy Rios in the morning on AFR Talk. What does the American Family Association stand for? We believe that our ministry, as well as everything in the heavens and on earth, belongs to God. And our role is that of a trusted manager. These values and more are part of our mission to inform, equip, and activate individuals to strengthen the moral foundations of our culture. We also support the church. We want to be a leading organization in biblical worldview training for cultural transformation. Thank you for standing with us. Hello, I'm Sam Rohr, President of the American Pastors Network, a growing national network of pastors committed to the authority of Scripture and preaching the whole counsel of God. We believe biblical obedience is the foundation for revival and impacting our culture for Christ is our duty. For too long, the pulpits of America have been silent on the important issues such as marriage and family and assault on our liberty. Join us in the battle for truth on Stand in the Gap weekend, Sunday evenings at 6 p.m. on American Family Radio, and visit us at AmericanPastorsNetwork.org. The only thing necessary for the triumph of evil is for good men to do nothing. My name is Abraham Hamilton III, and this is the Hamilton Minute. What is the proper role of government? Romans chapter 13 outlines government's function, and it is basically this, to restrain or to punish wickedness and to reward righteousness. Government was never intended to be our savior. Government is our servant. As we focus on our civil occupations and our civic engagement responsibilities, let us never forget that government is not our God. We don't put our trust in it. We put our trust in our Christ. As a result, what we want is a government that stays out of our way and leaves room for our church to do our business of fulfilling the Great Commission. Listen each weekday from 5 to 6 p.m. Central for The Hamilton Corner with Abraham Hamilton III, public policy analyst for the American Family Association. The following are real life stories from Trinity Debt Management. My story begins with debt, a lot of debt. I used my credit cards as a source of income. It was not a good situation. I couldn't pay my bills. The interest on the cards was really high. If you're in debt and you need help, call Trinity at 1-800-788-1813. I initially was scared to call and immediately I felt relieved. They contacted all of our creditors and they put us on a plan for success. Trinity will consolidate your accounts into one easy-to-manage monthly payment, reduce your interest, and possibly improve your credit score. You'll save thousands. I've been able to pay off close to $15,000. We're doing a lot better. Please pick up the phone and see how affordable and easy it is to pay off your debt. It's a godsend. We're debt-free for keeps. Call Trinity at 1-800-788-1813. That's 1-800-788-1813. This is Frank Gaffney with the Secure Freedom Minute. A year ago, an event occurred at the Capitol that we have been incessantly told was a violent insurrection by Trump supporters seeking to overthrow the U.S. government. A House committee is about to hold hearings that will promote this narrative. And congressional Democrats are hoping to exploit it to enact electoral legislation that will keep them in power permanently. But what if that narrative is wrong? None of those being prosecuted for the January 6th disturbance at the Capitol have been charged with insurrection. The FBI has been implicated in fomenting it, and the place was left inadequately protected despite intelligence warnings there could be problems. Questions that occur are, what did Speaker Pelosi know and when about the FBI's involvement in encouraging people to enter the Capitol, and its police deciding to open the doors to allow them in? This is Frank Gaffney. Don't forget to connect with Sandy Rios in the morning on Facebook or email Sandy at Sandy at AFR.net. That's Sandy at AFR.net. Sandy Rios in the morning on American Family Radio.
Nationwide, just 37% of Americans are fully vaccinated, even as health experts continue to tout the benefits. You become a dead end to the virus. And when there are a lot of dead ends around, the virus is not going to go anywhere. Our data from the CDC today suggests, um, you know, that, that vaccinated people do not carry the virus, don't get sick. We're not in a position where we think that any virus, including the Delta virus, which is much more transmissible and more deadly in terms of non-unvaccinated people, the, vi the, the, the various shots that people are getting now cover that. They're, they're, you're okay. You're not, gonna, you're not gonna get COVID if you have these vaccinations. You're not gonna get COVID if you have these vaccinations because Joe Biden said so. And so did Dr. Fauci, and so have so many others through these last few years we've been dealing with this. And, of course, it's just not true, and I guess maybe I'll just give one uh, situation that I reported yesterday, but it bears repeating, and that is that the Defense Secretary, Lloyd Austin, who wears like three masks, he wears a shield, a mask, uh, he's been vaccinated, he's been boosted, um, and he is locked and ready, and he has caused hundreds if not thousands of military personnel to be relieved of their duties because they would not get vaccinated like Lloyd Austin because, of course, uh, as we just learned, if you get vaccinated, you'll never get COVID. You'll never, there's just no problem. Of course, they moderated that afterwards and they said, well, you won't get as sick and then you won't die. That's the latest party line. By the way, I heard President Trump repeat the same thing in his little tours with, uh, with uh, Bill O'Reilly, which just makes me sick. Uh, that he is not um, fully informed on this and that he's also now repeating this nonsense from the so-called experts. But back to if you get this vaccination, you will not get COVID. You, there's just no problem. This is a fail-safe. It's better than natural immunity, these vaccines. Not so. So Secretary Lloyd Austin locked and loaded with the, you know, the booster and the mask and the shield has COVID. And he has symptoms. Of COVID. He's not working now because he actually is sick. Uh, and this is what he said in response to this. He said, as my doctor made clear to me, my fully vaccinated status and the booster I received in early October have rendered the infection much more mild than it would otherwise have been. And I'm grateful for that. And he went on further to say, um, let's see, the vaccines work and they will remain a military medical requirement. Uh, let's see. He said, I continue to encourage every eligible, everyone eligible for a booster to shot to get one. This remains a readiness issue. Really? So I may look like, you know, uh, I may look like a, a, a person, but I'm, at, you know, I'm just speculating, but I'm not, I'm really a, you know, a donkey. I don't know. You're supposed to just believe what people say uh, without suspend reality and believe it. It's just not true. What he just, just said, it's not true. It's a lie. You are not safe from COVID because you've been vaccinated or boosted. Uh, I'm, and so here's, a, I, for those of you in the military, something really wonderful at least came in my inbox last night, and it is this. Uh, the United States District Court for the Northern District of Texas yesterday, that's it said today, but it's yesterday, issued a preliminary injunction stopping the Department of Defense from punishing military service members who have religious objections to the vaccine mandate. First Liberty Institute, and that's our friend um, uh, Michael Berry, First Liberty Institute filed a federal lawsuit and motion for a preliminary injunction on behalf of dozens of U.S. Navy SEALs and other Naval Special Warfare personnel against the Biden administration and the Department of Defense for their refusal to grant religious accommodations to this COVID-19 vaccine mandate. Um, Mike Berry says this, forcing a service member to choose between their faith and serving their country is abhorrent to the Constitution and America's values. Uh, punishing SEALs for simply asking for a religious accommodation is purely vindictive and punitive. We're pleased that the court has acted to protect our brave warriors before more damage is done to our national security. And then more importantly, this is what the judge wrote. Judge Reed O'Connor said, the Navy service members, in this case, seek to vindicate the very freedoms they have sacrificed so much to protect. 
The COVID-19 pandemic provides the government no license to abrogate those freedoms. There is no COVID-19 exception to the First Amendment. There is no military exclusion from our Constitution. All right, so now, to be clear, it's not a final word. This is the ruling of a U.S. District Court for the Northern District of Texas. I'm sure it will be appealed, uh, but that's good news. Um, Matt Staver from uh, Liberty Council will join us tomorrow because Matt's been representing Navy SEALs and other people in the military also, and he's going to tell us what's up with the mandates, and the Supreme Court is going to be hearing a lot of the challenges this Friday. So uh, Matt's going to talk to us about that, so I hope you'll make sure that you tune in tomorrow for that. I mentioned my beloved Mayo. Um, I've never been to Vanderbilt, but I've been to Mayo Clinic many, many times. Just think the world. They have the most incredible history, and uh, they are world-renowned also. Uh, Rochester is the main clinic. Uh, they actually did a documentary on the, the founding of Mayo. You can find it on Netflix or on uh, Amazon, I'm not sure. Uh, it's just uh, it's, it's thrilling. These, these brothers started this whole thing to just help people. It's, and then uh, nuns, a whole group of nuns were involved. And, and so there's just great care traditionally. But now here's the story. Uh, I noticed this last year when we went to Mayo in Rochester for our uh, annual checkups. Um, actually, it was a year, more than a year ago now, uh, that they were COVID crazy. If anyone was crazy, and this was in the early stages, they were just insane. It was actually a miserable trip, to be honest with you. But coming on the heels of that, they have, uh, they have also uh, um, clinics in uh, Jacksonville, Florida, and also one in Phoenix, Arizona, there are the other two outlets. Well, a couple that goes to Mayo Clinic is now suing Mayo, begging, begging, begging that their husband and father, uh, Claude Pisano, get ivermectin. And, uh, and uh, Mayo is refusing, refusing. Ivermectin is harmless. Uh, it is a harmless that's been, the person that developed it won the Nobel Prize uh, for his work for this, because this was like a miracle drug. And don't, don't believe those people that say this is a horse pill. Yes, there are dual uses for many medications for humans and animals, and ivermectin is one of them. But it is very much a human medication. So that's just ridiculous, foolish ignorance when people say that. So uh, Mayo, on the spectrum of ridiculous, foolish ignorance, has just lapsed into that. They have become part of the uh, medical... the. <laughs> I just, uh, the medical deception, I just, it's so disappointing. And so they are refusing this man. A judge has been called upon, and they think uh, another doctor from the outside is trying to manage his care as best he can. Um, Balbano is his name. He's provided Mayo Clinic with medical treatment orders for Pasano, including ventilator support. Uh, he's also ordered continued monitoring of his blood work along with administration of ivermectin, anti-inflammatory medications, aspirin, other drugs, vitamin C, vitamin D, zinc, and melatonin. Balbona says Mayo Clinic has refused all of it. And he said they're doing nothing for uh, Claudia. Uh, Cla- no, it's not. It's not. Claudia is the wife. I'm sorry. They're doing nothing for the patient. Uh, they're just having him on a ventilator and they're giving him nothing. And it's just, it is, it's criminal. You know, I just think at some point someone's going to have to sue. Uh, this sounds radical. It is a doctor for murder. They're going to have to charge them with murder uh, for what because they are willingly not giving life-saving drugs. Now they may not uh, believe that they're life-saving, but there is this thing called right to try. Uh, the patient should have a right to try a drug that, that that they believe might help them. And that's what Mayo is preventing, and I'm 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 appalled by that. I have to tell you, I want to. There's another story I meant to share with you yesterday. I'm going to have to hurry, uh, but it's a, it's an article in Epoch Times about how likely reinfection is following COVID recovery. And quickly, I would just say they track studies across the globe in various places. Bottom line, it looks as though uh, natural immunity is still it can last a lifetime, even if you have a mild case. Uh, that you can have, uh, they say that some of those cases that seem to be breakthroughs, like a second second case of COVID, sometimes they get a false positive. It's not that it never happens, but it rarely happens based on the studies that they have uh, looked at. So reinfection following COVID recovery is not likely. And that's why the Omicron variant, variant in some ways is a godsend because it's creating immunity 
and people that were, you know, getting vaccines, and that was not that's not giving them immunity, and that's the bottom line. Sandy Rios in the morning, AFR Talk.